got nine minutes to maximize your travel and casino experience? Welcome to Zorkcast, powered by Travel Zork, helping you travel smarter, gamble smarter, and maximize your adventures. From airline miles and hotel points to living in the lap of luxury in a Las Vegas casino, you'll find all the knowledge you need to travel in style. Brought to you in nine minutes or less. Now, please welcome the host of Zorkcast, Michael Mason Traeger. Hello, this is Michael, and welcome back to ZorkCast. Today, Tim from the Points to Be Made blog has been gracious enough to return to have a conversation with us about Digital Nomad. So, Tim, welcome back. Hi again. Yeah, thanks for having me back. So, I'm really fascinated about the concept of digital nomad. So maybe we could just start off a little bit with what, what is a digital nomad? You know, in, you know, a brief description of it. And then, and then maybe we'll, we'll go a little bit into your experiences with being a digital nomad. Yeah. So a digital nomad essentially is someone who doesn't need any particular location to work or has an obligation to live anywhere. And so. The only thing they really need is their computer and a Wi-Fi connection to work. And there are loads and loads of people like that around the world, even those who aren't even nomadic, actually. What was in your journey to go digital nomad? How long were you thinking about it? What caused you to do it? What was the, what was your transition from like regular person who has a day job <laughs> to digital nomad? Oh, wow. I didn't think about it for that long actually i mean i well so for a start i really didn't like my previous job working in a dutch very large oil company pretty famous i won't say their name because they don't deserve uh, the credit but I, i was kind of just really bored with my job there what i realized that i had pretty decent programming skills and what my boss didn't realize was that my entire week's work i could complete by about 10 past nine on a monday morning so I spent nearly 38 hours a week just pretending to be busy because I had already scripted my entire week's work. And this went on for about three years. I don't really know how I survived that long. But wow, how about- did you how did you pretend how did you pretend to be busy for that long? I mean, that's uh, that's absolutely <laughs> fabulous. And it's it's also a testament to what scares me the most about big companies and big corporations. Well, there are many ways to pretend to be busy. One way I did was just memorize a lot of factual data. So for those who don't know my kind of background before Air Miles, I am a structural engineer. And you would think that construction is like the least possible digital nomad job, but I kind of somehow made that transition anyway. And yeah, so I would remember things like <laughs> the section tables, which means like, you know, if you if you take a beam, a size of a girder or something, you'd memorize every tiny factual detail like the thickness of the steel or the, every dimension and i'll just re- i'll just remember things like that because actually like it sounds boring to a lot of people but i do find memorizing numbers incredibly easy and uh, that's just how how my brain is wired up so i would spend a lot of time doing that and just reading up a lot of things which on the outset looks like it's to do with structural engineering but you know i would be thinking of something else so i would have a page open but then also kind of my mind would be elsewhere. I'd be assimilating something completely different. <laughs> well, what's interesting is you use this knowledge as the basis for 
am I correct, as a basis for a business that you created when you went digital nomad, correct? Correct, yeah. So one of the businesses that I set up was basically teaching people how to get the professional engineering license. In the UK, there's an exam that people have to take, probably similar to US as well, but the exam failure rate is so incredibly high, about 80% failure rate, and people would spend hundreds of pounds, thousands of pounds taking it through the early stage of their career. It's about 500 pounds per go to take it. And I had this knowledge of how to take the exam. And then (laughs) as part of that, I hired the person who was the chief examiner at the time. He left and he joined my crew. (laughs) And obviously that for the authenticity factor boosts our company's reputation a lot. And so my my venture into Digital Nomad for the construction industry was just teaching people how to pass this exam. And that's that kept me going for quite a long time. It's still going. I'm I'm happily doing that kind of stuff alongside my air miles. And yeah, we do the teaching over Skype and we sell pretty expensive ebooks, but they're expensive at the outset. They're seventy-five pounds. But if you think of the context of taking a five hundred pound exam, which statistically you're probably going to fail, then yeah, it's it's well worth it. Amazing. So this, this was the business. So you left this big corporate job and Mm -hmm. basically said, Hey, I'm just going digital nomad. It probably thrilled your parents that you were doing that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's another conversation. Yeah. So where was your first step? Like, where did you go first when you became, it's like, it's like literally like the world is your oyster. So where, what was your first, what was your plan or your first destinations or what were you thinking about? The first destination was Iceland. Don't know if that was my planned first destination or not, because we'd kind of been discussing it for about two and a half years of my three years at this job, my previous job. But we went to Iceland and we, I was running a hostel um, for the first month, um, just to kind of settle in a bit. And it was a, it's a small hostel on an island off Iceland. So it, you can imagine there aren't going to be that many people. So. Aside from the kind of checkout and check-in times, because there are only like two ferries per day, I had a lot of time during the day to work on what I needed. And yeah, so Iceland was the first destination, which is not a cheap place at all for a digital nomad, but we had accommodation and food sorted, which is like... That's the cool. And when thing. you say we, when you say we, that also includes your girlfriend was with you. Am I correct about that? That's correct. Yeah. And well, she's pretty much been a digital nomad her entire career anyway. Nomad in the sense that she doesn't need to be anywhere to work. She's a freelance translator and a freelance interpreter. So like aside from conferences where she has to interpret like everything else she does via her laptop, she has come along with me every step of the way and very, very grateful for her and the 10 years that we've been together. And she's been doing actually like she was the person who inspired me to go the digital nomad route. I kind of been dreaming about it, but like she has done it. And so I thought, well, I want to do it too. And somehow we've, you know, we've been making it work un- until now. What was the most difficult part of being a digital nomad? And I know that's an extremely broad question, but. It's the kind of things that people kind of warn you in advance. So if you're like, for instance, I, I once, when I was cooking, I cut my finger open, really deep wound. And like, if you're in a hospital where you need to get stitches and you don't really speak the language, you just, you're in that kind of situation. That's, that's the kind of thing that's from, for a lot of people would scare them. And at, obviously at the time it would be quite difficult. And it could have been a lot worse. Imagine if like I completely severed my finger or <laughs> broke a leg, that kind of thing. That's part of the difficulty. But 
the other thing is like because I was starting my businesses as I was traveling, financially it's it's such a burden. Like starting a business under any condition is a real burden. So when you've got big expenses like flights and you know, looking for accommodation every step of the way, and like by the way, like when you're when you're a digital nomad, nomads, people like ask for rent at gringo rates. Okay, like you're not you're not paying local rates if you're going to Bali or if you're going to you know any country out in wherever. There's going to be this kind of markup. And you can't really do anything about it because you've got the, you don't have the local knowledge. So, yeah, the financial burden. How many different locations did you live in before you finally settled in Portugal after your stint as digital nomad? Because I don't really I consider you now sort of in place <laughs> in in Portugal, for lack of a better way to describe it. But how many different countries were you in? How many countries I, I was in compared to how many countries I lived in? That's a different question because I never really lived anywhere. Let's say I was in around seven countries before I decided to kind of pull the plug on just nonstop travel. I don't know, maybe more than seven, maybe about 12 or something. <laughs> there are lots of small countries, but wow. <laughs> um, it's kind of mind blowing for a lot of people. But like the thing is, it is physically really exhausting to keep traveling like that. And you really miss your creature comforts, you know, like you know, your own sofa, your own bed after it was about a year and a half where I, when we finally decided, okay, that's probably enough. <laughs> and, and like, you know, most digital nomads are somewhere in the age range of 18 to 26, I would say. So they're full of energy and yeah, they've kind of happy go lucky and carefree, but I'm over 30 and so is my partner. And we're kind of in a different stage of our life. So we just thought, well, yeah, we don't have that same energy. Let's just slow down. And we arrived at Portugal and said, well, actually, let's just buy a house here. <laughs> and so we did. And now we live here and we don't travel so much, but we're happy that we are here. Well, that's really cool. Do you think, uh, I mean, thinking about miles and points and digital nomad, do you think there's a way if somebody was super crafty, like especially an American with you know, hoarding miles through credit card signups and stuff. And if you manage to hoard you know, or manufactured spending and you manage to hoard a half a million, million, two million miles in different hotel mm -hmm. programs and things that you could effectively try to do some of the digital nomad stuff by, you know, using things like IHD point breaks and things like that, because I was thinking it would be extremely interesting. I'm assuming you mostly did local stuff and Airbnb. Do you think that there is an angle where you could do it, you know, with miles and points if you hoarded enough? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I think another famous blogger, Ben Schlappig, did that, didn't he? He, he was just living in planes and hotels full, uh, full time. I'm not quite on the same playing field as him, but yeah, you definitely could. There's no reason why you have to spend time in a airbnb if you if your money and points is uh, resources are so plentiful why not live in hotels non-stop <laughs> you, yeah. you, you wouldn't have to clear up after yourself everywhere you go it is really really interesting so i mean one of the other issues which comes up a lot especially with americans is that 
you know, you have the advantage when you're a digital nomad being primary residency in the UK of not having to deal with global taxation. So your tax situation, I, I would assume was relatively advantageous during your digital nomad period and now in Portugal. But for Americans who aren't aware, America is one of those countries which is evil to expats and, <laughs> and charges global taxation. So no you're matter where you live in the you world, go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's... So for Americans, you basically are, you have to pay the tax rate as if, you know, you have to pay the American tax rate no matter where you are. You pretty much so have to make up the, for a simplistic way to say it is you have to make up the difference in taxes. So you're always going to be accountable to the minimal tax rate in America. But for your situation, you probably ran into a couple of advantageous. Well, I mean, one, one myth I want to debunk quickly is that digital nomads, well, the myth is that digital nomads don't pay tax at all, which is not true. It's completely dependent on each person's situation because some countries, like if you're resident there, they kind of have a bit of a sticking point. So like when you try and deregister your residence, they make you pay some kind of exit tax. Netherlands doesn't do that. I'm still a tax accountable for four countries now, actually. I, I have, I pay tax to more countries now than before I was digital nomad, actually, as it happens. And this, yeah, that's, that's the myth I want to debunk. It's, it's so highly specific to everyone. It also depends on where their business is registered and where they have a permanent establishment. I won't, def- I won't go in so far into defining it, but effectively where, where the business is run. There are so many factors at play and each one, each of these or each country interprets this differently. So, you know, it's, that's just one thing I just want to get out there that digital nomads do pay tax and often is, it can be just as much tax as people, other people around you who are not digital nomads. No, no, that's, that's very interesting. And probably, you know, it's something like you said, it's, it's definitely not black and white. There is a lot of nuance. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we are just about out of time with this episode. Another idea popped into my head when you were for another episode at a later time. But when you were talking about, you know, how you love memorizing numbers. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, obviously, you're an incredible math brain. We need to talk about if you ever considered casino advantage play or looked into any of that, because you have what I would deem to be one of the the really good personalities, at least for casino advantage play. And I know a lot of my audience who loves to talk about casino stuff. You You just seem like you would be a natural, at least... At least with the math side of it, you know, the social engineering side, we would have to talk about, but it it could be something interesting to look at in a future episode. I I would love to. I have the worst poker face out of anyone. I I am sure of it, but I do know that I can memorize packs of cards quite quickly. I even had someone install an app on my phone to, you know, count. I don't know what the right term is because I'm not a casino player, but, you know, counts the probability of a decent hand in blackjack. And I also do a lot of stock trading as well because my mental arithmetic is pretty damn good. So I would love to. That'll be, a, that'll be an more. interesting. We'll do that at a future episode. It'll be a lot of fun. So anyway, Tim from the Points to Be Made blog. Tim, tell us again the best way for people to get in touch with you or the most convenient way and where to find you. Yeah, my website is pointstobemade.com. And on Facebook, if you search for Points to Be Made and You'll, you'll find it on Twitter also points to be made or the Twitter handle at PTB made. They didn't have a long enough handle at the time, but any of those and you'll find how to contact me from there. Awesome. Well, thank you again. I wish we had more time to discuss this, but this was 
extremely interesting and is, of course, you know, one of my favorite topics to hear about. Any closing words, Tim? Well, no, thanks for having me. And, you know, it's um, hopefully, well, based on the feedback from previous episodes, uh, it sounds like some of you like to hear slightly different things to Casino, and but um, still in some way tangible. So if you like it, please do give the feedback and uh, maybe Michael will invite me to a future episode again. Awesome. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to Zorkast. And until next time. You've reached the end of your stay with us on this episode, but we encourage you to visit our website for more resources at TravelZork.com and to continue the conversation on Twitter and Instagram at TravelZork and Facebook.com slash TravelZork. Travel smarter, gamble smarter, and maximize your adventures right here on ZorkCast. Until next time, good luck.